like Prescott. They all wanted to run for Oregon, Villanova, UCLA. Well, I said, I'm not sure I want to have Lindquist's headaches. The boys say they were unfairly treated. They say no one ever listened to their side of the story. They want to talk to you about it. They and I agree that the decision will be up to you. You mean they're here? Joe was doing the smoker's comedy act. He hunted automatically for an ashtray, didn't find one, tipped his ashes into the palm of his hand, finally put them in the empty wastebasket. They showed up in the snowstorm late last night and knocked on my door, he said. Marion put them up in the den. They hitchhiked all the way from Oregon. They ate everything in the house. I was beginning to be more puzzled. Their actions sounded desperate. I could see the three of them half-frozen by the highway in the Dakotas somewhere, with their thumbs out and a hand-lettered sign reading New York. But why here? I mean, there are big-time teams with permissive coaches who would snap them up. Prescott has you, doesn't it? But I've been out of sight for years. Those kids wouldn't even know who I am. I'm sure they'll tell you all about it, said Joe, getting up. All right. I said. I have classes at 9 and 10, but I'm free between 11 and lunch. Why don't you send them over at 11? After Joe left, I sat a minute before I went to 9 o'clock track practice. To have runners like those three on my little team had been the hurting dream ever since I'd left Penn State. I felt overcome by memories and pain. The moment I first saw the Oregon Three, I felt a vague unease. They sat or sprawled in my office. I had shut the door and hung out my coach-in-conference do-not-disturb sign. They gazed at me in silence. I gazed back. I knew their faces well from all the photos I'd seen in track and field news, runner's world, and Sports Illustrated. They looked like three travel-stained rock musicians who'd been busted flat in Memphis. They had hollowed eyes and beards. I thought with a twinge of nostalgia of the 1950s, when every runner had a crew cut and a clean shave. Even I didn't insist on crew cuts anymore. The superstar of the three was Myler Vince Matty. He was also the best looking. He was 22, from Los Angeles, tall and rangy, as a Myler should be. He had wavy, coal-black hair down to his collar, insolent brown eyes, and a little scar under his right eye. He wore faded Levi's, a torn Air Force jacket, and mountain boots. He owned a 352.19, the third fastest U.S. mile in history. He also owned a pair of injury-prone legs that kept him from running like that about half the time. He was, I knew, very free with his elbows in a race and very hot-tempered. My eyes moved on to Jacques Lafont. He was 21, from Canton, Illinois. He wasn't in Vince's class, but he was a top-miler and half-miler. The track magazines characterized him as a screwball and a cut-up, and also as sensitive and high-strung. He was a shade more muscular than Vince, as a half-miler might be. He had exuberant, frizzy auburn hair and beard, and wore a plaid headband and a motorcycle jacket. His bright blue eyes wavered between lively and anxious. My eyes came to rest on Billy Sive. He was 22, from San Francisco. He had been one of those spectacular California high school distance runners. 
When he got to Oregon, he ran a 2849 10,000-meter, but he seemed to have stopped improving. I wondered why he had not fulfilled that early promise. Maybe he had burned himself out. Billy sat easily in the oak armchair where Joe had sat earlier. He looked calmly back at me through his gold-rimmed glasses. Behind those glasses were the most beautiful eyes I had ever seen in a man. They were a clear blue-gray, but they were beautiful because of their proud, spookily candid expression. Vince Matty was snapping his gum in a way that already irritated me. I pointed out the wastebasket. Your gum in there, I said. Vince hesitated. Then, possibly because he felt that the main thing at the moment was getting on my team, he obeyed. My eyes went back to Billy Sive. He sat there, looking straight through me. He was wearing a faded, tattered, blue-quilted Mao jacket.